Hey everybody, you're listening to Living Theology with the Luby Brothers, a podcast dedicated to understanding and living out the gospel. The gospel that brings us to God and transforms us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. We are your hosts, Doug, Greg, and Mark Luby. Well, we are continuing in our series on friendship, and this is the second episode. In the first episode, it was right before my wedding, and Doug and Greg were out here in Colorado with me um, celebrating and sort of just reflecting on what our friendship has looked like over the years. And today mm-hmm. we want to continue that conversation, and we're actually hoping to continue this conversation for several episodes, but we sort of want to look at this question of why are friendships so valuable, or why are relationships so valuable what's the significance of those in this time i think we see especially what has always been true that friendships relationships are valuable uh being six seven months into this whole um covid season there's such a longing for relationship being with others and there's always been issues and problems with friendship i think it's um even more so at the front of discussions but we're, we're looking at that question of why. Where does this desire for friendship come from today? And so, Doug, will you be down to uh, lead our discussion? Definitely. I'm going to actually start this out with a story from one of my good friends, Ching Sun, who I got to meet while I was in Malaysia and just became a significant friend for me. I learned so much about friendship, seeing how my Malaysian friends expressed relationship, interdependence. So I'm just thankful for that season. But one story that stands out to me of why is it that we desire friendship was about half a year after I had met Ching Sun. We watched a movie together one night, Grand Budapest Hotel, and then got back to my house at about midnight. And we often had people stay overnight with us. Alex and I did in our apartment. Maybe two, three times a week, <laughs> which is really <laughs> sweet. Um, but it's about midnight, and Ching Sun asks about the song Hallelujah, where it talks about David seeing a woman bathing, Bathsheba. He says, what is going on in that song? So I begin to try and explain who David is as king of Israel. But then he hadn't had a background in the Bible, so I realized, oh, he doesn't understand who Israel is. So I need to go back to the beginning of the story with Abraham. And then over the next three hours, we talked about Abraham all the way up to the book of Romans. So it's about 3am in the morning. We're done with this really sweet conversation with a good friend. And Ching says, this has been a great conversation, but my favorite part is the love of God within the Trinity. I thought, what? <laughs> how did, how did that? that stand out to you? Like, where did this come from? Because we had talked a little bit about the Trinity and the relationship of God as three and one. And there's so much mystery there. But at the end of it, he said, my favorite part of everything that we've talked about is the love of God within the Trinity. Just the beauty of how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been in a perfect, loving relationship before the world even began. And I thought, how did you see that? I feel like I'm still trying to 
even appreciate the beauty of this. And so many people don't even think about it in those ways, but this is something where it's a new conversation to you. And this is gripping you as a beautiful aspect of who God is. One verse that stands out along those lines is John 17, 24 to 26, where Jesus is talking and it's his high priestly prayer. And he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus is saying that the Father has loved him before the foundation of the world, and he is praying that his disciples would also experience that same love. So we want to start this discussion of why is it that we desire relationship with a discussion of how our God as three in one is relational. How do you guys see the Trinity as foundational for our own desire for relationship? I think it just ties back to this image that we've been hitting on in different topics, but we're made in the image of God. And yeah. when you think about the relationality, is that a word, of the Trinity, Um <laughs> That it's fascinating because you look at the story of creation and God makes Adam and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so we see two dimensions of it. We're made for relationship with God. God makes us to know him, to love him, to experience him. But then also um, this, the horizontal, the vertical and the horizontal relationship as well, where we're made with other humans and it wasn't enough just to have the animals there. And so we're seeing that at the very beginning of it, it's not good for man to be alone. And so we're made for relationship with God, relationship with others. And I think the very nature of God that's reflected in the relationality is also reflected in our lives and the way we're made and designed. And hmm. we're talking about this a little bit anecdotal, anecdotally. I'm, I need to stop trying to use such big words. Those aren't even that big words. <laughs> I just have, we just had a baby two weeks ago, so I have total parent brain. <laughs> Three years old, two years old, a couple weeks old. It's, yeah. it's crazy days there. We're making yeah. it. So if I'm like at 85% brain capacity in the next couple of podcasts, that's why. <laughs> but it's fine. He's doing well. Um, oh, yeah. So what we're talking about with antidotes is if you think about something like people being put in isolation, solitary confinement and going crazy or you'll watch, I haven't seen what's the little movie with Tom Hanks. I don't think I've even seen it, but or Castaway. 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 You know, by the end of that, he's talking to a volleyball. <laughs> it's, yeah. You see people just kind of go crazy when they don't have a relationship. And that's an extreme example. But as Mark mentioned during the season of COVID, we're kind of seeing this in small ways, even in my own life as I'm, sometimes not able to get as much time around friends and other people. You see that just having an impact over these past few months in ways that have been different than I've experienced before. Yeah. And I, I think part of, Doug, what, what's been on my mind, like you're saying, Greg, we're made in the image of God. We have these strong desires for friendship, for relationship. When we don't have it, we feel it. We know that something is off. Um, I've almost been thinking of relationship is kind of built into the fabric of how like 
yeah, it's built into the fabric of the universe, like, or more so it like goes back to the very nature of God, that he is a relational God. Um, Pastor Tom, Mm -hmm. who's the pastor of my church, Calvary Bible Church, uh, has said it this way, that friendship is an expression of what God is like. And I think that's such a cool, yeah, it's a great phrase. Friendship is an expression of what God's like. You learn something about the nature of God and friendship. And working as a student ministry pastor, you know, it can be thought of, oh, you know, do students just want friendships or do they just want to be with their friends? And part of it is like, yeah, there can be a negative idea of, oh, just wanting to be with friends. But also the more I think about it, I'm like, man, that's just what we want. That's what we all want. We all want friendship. We all want relationship. We all want to be loved and to be known. And there's something just, yeah, so significant in that. Along those lines of desiring friendship, about two months ago, I walked past my daughter, Ruth, and I had often smiled at her and she would smile back. But this time I was walking past her and she looked at me and smiled. And then I smiled back at her and there was this big, gummy, toothless smile looking back at me. And I just began to cry. Because it was the first time that she had initiated this look with me. And she's just gummy smiling back because she's got a delight that I, as her father, am looking at her. And she begins to smile in an even bigger way. And I begin to realize she doesn't know words. She doesn't really know what it means for me to be her dad or so many of these other things. But... It's hardwired into her that she desires to connect with me. And I began to cry because my little girl in this moment is reflecting the nature of God. So often I sing to Ruth, like, the most wonderful thing about Ruthie is she's made in the image of God. And she (laughs) smiles and is kind of this sweet thing. But Mark, you were talking about... um, the book Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. How does that fit into that idea of desire for relationship? Yeah, that's a great book. Uh, Doug, I think you recommended that one for me originally, but Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. I'll put the link for that in the show notes. But Mm -hmm. it's an amazing book just on God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the relational God. And even what's so unique about Christianity and God being a relational God you know, people will say, hey, all religions are the same. They're fundamentally, you know, same idea, same stuff going on. There's God. But one thing he points out is if you look at a religion, for example, uh, such as Islam, in Islam, the concept of God is very different from the Christian concept of God in in multiple ways. And we could get into discussions and I would like to do more study and whatnot on that myself. But one significant way is that In Islam, God is not an essentially relational and loving father. He's not not essentially a a loving father, God, in relationship. Because he's one. He's one. Not three. So then when Allah creates man, there's now relationship, but no relationship prior to his creation. So that's what you mean by not essentially relational. Yeah, that would be, I think, a Christian and... Uh, a Muslim would be able to disagree if say, oh yeah, there are some different concepts of how we see God. But within the Christian framework, then thinking God is essentially a father. Doug and Greg, you both have children, but there was a moment when you were not a father. Like, right. we've, we've been friends for years, um, but you have not always been a father to Ruth and Jackson and Wesley and Owen. 
there was a time when you began to be a father. And it's a beautiful thing. It's an amazing thing. Doug, you delight in your daughter. Greg, you delight in your sons. There was a moment when you were not a father and a moment when you became a father. But Mm -hmm. here is what is so mind-blowing about God as our father is that God our father has never ceased to be a father. He has never not been a father, eternally loving his son, Jesus Christ. And so that's like the amazing thing. God is essentially, he has always been, he cannot fail to be, he will always be a loving father. It's in his very nature as a relational God. And that whole framework is what Michael Reeves is arguing in his book is what actually sets Christianity as so uniquely distinct and even plays out in the gospel that we are brought into relationship with our father as our father adopted as his sons through his son, Jesus Christ and dwelt by the spirit brought into this relationship of love and those desires of friendship are actually then answered by the gospel. Because yeah, as we go to Genesis one and two, we see that desire for relationship with God and one another laid out because God makes man and woman in his image to be in his presence. And in the Garden of Eden, they are in the holy presence of God perfectly. And they're in relationship with one another. After God says that everything is good, 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 Genesis 2.18 says, it is not good that man should be alone. So Adam here is in the Garden of Eden without sin in relationship with God, but it's not good for him to be alone. Hmm. So one thought in that is to say, all that I need is Jesus and I don't need his church or I don't need his body. It's like, no. In the best spot of relationship with God in the Garden of Eden, personally with the Lord, it's not good for God's people to be alone. We need one another. And then in that context, God brings the animals to Adam one after another. And then Adam names the animals, but his longing for relationship is unfulfilled. There's no one to be there with him. I heard it said actually last night in one of my classes that if you think the dating scene is bad, imagine being in Adam's spot. (laughs) (laughs) He is alone. And one animal after another comes to him. He's like, nope. But names the animal according to God's design. But he recognizes these animals are good as God's creation, but that's not what I'm longing for. And then God puts him to sleep, holds out his rib. And then Adam, after seeing thousands of animals, sees Eve. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And the two were together and naked and unashamed. There's that perfect now relationship between Adam and Eve that we all long for to be fully known and to be there without shame. But then the next chapter comes in. They sin. They rebel against God. And discord comes into relationship. And Doug, you mentioned sin and shame kind of coming in and breaking relationships. And so how do you see sin then impacting this picture that we see in Genesis 1 and 2 of relationships? How does it corrupt relationships? Right away, we see sin moving them from being unashamed to 
ashamed. So Genesis 3, they cover themselves with fig leaves, but then they realize, ah, these coverings don't work. So then they try and hide from God, but that doesn't work and God still calls them out. And then as soon as they come into God's presence, Adam blames Eve and he ultimately blames the Lord for their sin. And then Eve also blames the serpent. And instantly now Adam and Eve have gone from the spot of being naked, unashamed in relationship to clothing themselves in shame, blaming one another and blaming the Lord for their sin. So we see instantly a move away from perfect relationship with God and one another to tension and hostility. And then God pronounces curses on the ground and on relationships and also hope for redemption. But in Genesis, the next few chapters, we see a lot of how sin spirals down. So then Cain and Abel, brothers, rather than loving one another, Cain is ashamed that his sacrifice isn't accepted and murders his brother. And then the Lord promises to protect Cain, but then Cain's descendants, the seventh descendant going down from Adam Lamech, not only murders someone, but boasts in his murder. He becomes the first polygamist that's recorded in the Bible. And instead of having this beautiful relationship of one man and one woman, takes multiple wives, boasts in his murder, and instantly, although not instantly, but over several generations, we see sin spiral further and further down in corruption. And that brokenness that sin brings into the world, we all experience that, even in good relationships. In my relationship with Reagan, we still experience how there's shame and sin is corrupting, but there's also blessing and joy. So as you guys think about how we're designed for relationship because we're in God's image, designed to relate to one another, but then sin corrupted that perfect relationship, what gives you guys hope for redemption of God's original design for relationship. A beautiful verse that I just think clarifies how the gospel and forgiveness and grace brings us into this relationship with God that speaks to, I think, the longings that we have and our friends have and everyone has for relationship and friendship is seen in 1 John 1. In 1 John 1, uh, one through three is really a great section to take a look at and the rest of first John, obviously in the rest of the Bible, but, um, first John one, two, I'll start there. It says the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify it and proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. So it's talking about this eternal life in Christ brought to us by God. And it says that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So they're proclaiming, there's a proclamation by John here of the gospel, so that you would have fellowship with us. And who is our fellowship with? It's with God and his Son, Jesus Christ. And this is getting back to that idea of this relational reality of the gospel. The gospel is forgiveness, it's grace, given to us so that we might enter into relationship with God. And uh, the book, God is the Gospel, is another great book just on this of John Piper talks about how the greatest gift of the gospel is God himself. It is knowing and experiencing the, the goodness of God himself. And here we see 
I think that same idea that the beauty of the gospel is that we're brought actually into relationship with God. And then even with that, with one another as friends, as a community, having fellowship with one another. And the answer to the broken relationship, Doug, that you're noting in the beginning of scripture, what would you say, Greg? Something I've just seen to be so true is our greatest fear or one of our greatest fears is just being fully known and rejected. And terrifying. Yeah, that's, I think, a fear that most people live in light of. And so much of the way they live their life comes out of that. What if people see who I am? um, And what if I'm not who I think I am? What if I'm not who other people think I am? What if my life doesn't have worth or meaning or value? What if I'm rejected by others, by God because of that? What if that's true about me? And so I think that often with men, specifically what I've seen is that with different sports teams I've been part of and stuff, I've just seen kind of like a pretty surface level conversations and even just a lot of making fun of other people jabbing at each other, which I think is a little bit of self-protection, just not to have to go deeper, almost like no deeper level conversations, because I think there's this fear of what if I go deeper? What if people see that? What if that's exposed something about me people see and reject? And so I think there's this tendency just to live a very surface level life in those contexts, but that all kind of ties back to this fear of being known and rejected. And yet I think the cross is such a cool picture because what you see is that Christ on the cross is forsaken by God. What does he say when he's on the cross? He's, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what he shouts out. And so on the cross, Christ is taking the punishment for our sins. He's taking the wrath of God upon himself. And he's also being forsaken by God in our place. And so what we're most fearful of happening uh ultimately being rejected by God, Christ has gone to the cross and he's been in that place. He's taken that for us. So when we put our faith in Christ, when we believe in Christ, our sins are forgiven, we're brought to God, and we have no fear of rejection or abandonment by God because God unites himself to us eternally when we put our faith in Christ. And he makes these promises that he'll never let go of us. He seals us for eternity. You cannot lose your salvation. He brings us and he unites us to himself forever when we put our faith in Jesus. And so this greatest fear that we have of being known and rejected is gone through the gospel. And we see that that greatly impacts our relationship with God, but then also that impacts our horizontal and our vertical and horizontal relationships with others, because now we view each other in light of the gospel also. So this is the way that God views you. Um, and we're able to now be authentic with each other in a completely new way, which we'll get into later on. But this is now how we treat each other. And we no longer have a fear of being known and rejected because in the gospel, we're fully seen, fully loved um, and fully accepted. Not that we're not called to change or put off sin, but God sees us at our worst while we're still sinners. Christ died for us. He knew before the foundation of the world, the ways we would fall short. And Ephesians one said, he goes to the cross and he saves us and he forgives us. And he chooses to adopt us as his children, even though we're going to, you know, fall short. So we no longer have a fear of rejection or abandonment through Christ. Cause we all know that based on what we have done, we deserve the wrath of God. And there's various ways that people deal with that, of trying to hide, trying to cover themselves. But if we stop and we're quiet, I don't deserve his forgiveness and mercy and love. 
Graham, then what you're saying there is so powerful that my greatest fear, Jesus actually took the consequence of that. That was helpful for me that yeah, God has made us to be in relationship with himself and with one another. But because of our sin, that's broken. We're in rebellion against God. We go from relating perfectly with one another to abusing one another, to insecurities, to shame, to hiding. But God has made us one with himself. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us so that we can be reconciled to God. Back to 1 John 3, how great is the love our Heavenly Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And we don't always feel that way. 1 John also says that if our heart condemns us, we have to trust that God is greater than our hearts. Because we know, I'm broken, I'm sinful, but God saw it all. When we were unlovable and loved us anyway and sent his son so that we could be restored as his children. Yeah, we no longer have to fight to make something true about us that we are lovable, that we deserve love. Because the truth is, because of our sin, we deserve abandonment and we deserve separation from God. And we don't deserve God's love. And yet Christ took that truth about us upon himself and made it no longer true because he's brought us to God. He's taken mm. all the reasons that we should have nothing to do with God, all the reasons that we should be rejected, all the reasons we should be abandoned, uh, even if those are true about us, which they are because of our sin, no longer have any authority or power because the ultimate word on our life is the love of God and the relationship with God that we have secured through Jesus. Thanks, guys. This has been fun to talk about this. Mark, would you wrap us up here? Yeah. At the core of our desires, our longings is to be known and to love, be loved, as you guys are talking about. We were made for relationship. God is a relational God. He has always been a loving Father who has loved His Son, Jesus Christ. There is this relationship of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we were made to be in a relationship with that God. We are made in His image. Because of sin, we've fallen away from God. But the end of the story is that God brings us back to himself. The gospel restores us into right relationship with God and right relationship with one another as a result of that. And so maybe just a way to think about it in these days is our desires and longings for friendship are a good thing to press into. In ways that those desires are unfulfilled, we know that God will ultimately meet those desires. And in ways that those desires are unfulfilled, we may need to press into community and one another, understanding that part of the gift that God has given us is your friends, is one another, or friends that you are yet to develop and make. And maybe a, a final point is that each person in this world is, is truly desperately longing for what the gospel has to offer, that the hope of the gospel is not some foreign or abstract concept, but the hope of the gospel in this restored relationship with God, with ourself, with this world, with one another, um, is truly good news for everyone. Now, not everyone might expressly state that. They wouldn't. But the reality is that as God's ambassadors, we actually have the hope, the ministry, the, the, the message of reconciliation with God, peace with God, relationship with God that meets us in our longings and desires that are played out on a day-to-day -day basis on the most basic levels 
of life. And so I hope for you all is as you continue to walk through these days that you would know God, you would know his love for you, that you would um, experience that through his word um, and through relationship with him and that you would stay in community and continue to walk together with others through these seasons. So love you guys and grateful for you. And thank you all for listening as well. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope it's of encouragement to you and that you join us next time for another discussion. The music excerpts for this podcast come from the song Enthusiast by Tours, which is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. More information can be found in the show notes.